Hello, I'm Jenny Thomas. And I'm Nick Heath, and welcome to Jenny Thomas Talks About Child Bereavement for the Angus Lawson Memorial Trust. As a journalist friend and someone who lost a parent in my teenage years, my role in this series is to ask Jenny to share with us some stories, insight and guidance as to what's useful for anyone who is grieving or supporting someone who is bereaved. As a leading figure and pioneer in child bereavement, Jenny is the patron of the Angus Lawson Memorial Trust. On these podcasts, Jenny will share what children and parents have said was so important to them at this most difficult time in their lives. I hope you'll find what I've got to say and share with you beneficial. If you find any areas of what we discuss particularly difficult, I do encourage you to seek out a family member, a friend or counselling professional who is able to listen and be supportive. Jenny is regretfully unable to respond to any individual requests for support or counselling. But for more information on the Angus Lawson Memorial Trust, visit almt.org. And if you'd like further resources, you can head to Jenny's website on jennythomas.com or view the links in the podcast description. Hello and welcome to episode 8 in our series, Jenny Thomas Talks About Child Bereavement. Thank you very much for joining us once again. This episode is another opportunity for us to hear directly from someone who has experienced the loss we're going to be talking about. And today we're joined by Jen Reed. Jen and Chris's first baby died suddenly at the age of three months old. This is known as sudden infant death syndrome, something that people may be more familiar with previously as cot death. In this episode, we'll hear Jenny talking to Jen about her first experiences of motherhood, the death of her baby Edward, how she and her husband each managed their grief, and their setting up of the charity Teddy's Wish. Oh, hello, Jen. It's nice to see you, and I'm sorry that Chris isn't with us, because I'm very used to seeing you with your husband, Chris. But thank you so much for coming out and being willing to do this podcast with me. Um, we're very, very interested to hear how you are managing and how you've managed after the loss of your first little boy, Edward. Can you tell us just a little bit about that experience? Yes, thank you for having me here today. So Eddie was born in January 2014 and he was a perfectly healthy big baby boy and we were just so overjoyed to be parents for the first time and we really felt that our family was complete it was um it was a very long and complicated labor but once eddie was in my arms and he had safely arrived i was just completely overjoyed and i don't think anything can prepare you for that immediate feeling of love for your first child you fall in love oh, don't you i mean it was just amazing and you know I think for new parents it's it's very hard I think those first few months you're navigating into a, the new world of parenting there's a lot of sleepless nights and poor little Eddie had reflux and you know he was but he was a perfectly healthy thriving baby boy on and I think as as every new mum will say we're always a bit more nervous and I definitely went to the doctors quite a few times because I just was always scared and wanted to check that the reflux was okay and everything was okay and they always reassured me that he was absolutely fine and those first few months were just I mean we were just so overjoyed to be a family we just felt complete and I think after 
I think sorry, just leading up to the to the night that it happened, I think that gets to a point when you when you kind of get through those first hurdles of the new par- of new parenting. Yes. And and I was actually starting to really enjoy parenting. I think those you know, you're sort of you're you're muddling through and then and you, you're sort of climbing up the hill a bit. And, and then you I was, enjoyed being a mummy. Yeah, and I was just really enjoying being a mummy and and so the night that we lost Eddie, I don't think anything can ever prepare you for something like that. I think to lose, we lost Eddie in the middle of the night and he was three months old and it was completely unexpected. And the sh- I think the shock and the trauma of losing a child it's, it's very hard to put into words because it's something that no parent should ever have to experience. I think, I think as we always say, you know, you sort of expect to lose a parent or a grandparent or someone older, but to lose a child goes completely against the natural order of life. And so to lose Eddie when he was only three months old was just, I mean, it just completely shattered our world and it completely shattered our perfect world. I mean, Eddie wasn't perfect. I always say he was imperfectly perfect um, because, you know, we did have sleepless nights and he, he could be a little, you know, he could be difficult. And, but he was just, he, but he was my baby and I adored him and he was just amazing. And, and so, and as I said, to lose, yeah, to lose some, to lose Eddie so unexpectedly without warning, it wasn't like he was ill. There was nothing. There was no warning signs. I think, you know, I think that's what was just so hard. Did, did you find that after he died, you went through it again and again? Did you? Because I, yes. I think of it's almost like searching for any searching clues. Mm. I think what was really hard was that on every medical test possible, Eddie was a perfectly healthy baby boy. Mm. There was just, there was no reason... And there is no finger to point, no attributable cause as to why a healthy baby boy could be lost in this day and age. And I think we had heard of SIDS, formerly known as cot death, but the numbers had come down so dramatically over the years. You follow the safer sleep guidelines. And and as the midwives would say to me, you know, there's no reason for you to worry. He wasn't even a, an at risk baby. They sort of they would say to you, look, you know, if they if a baby's premature, um, then they're more, you know, they could be more risk. Um, but in our case, there was just there was no risk. And so you follow the safer sleep guidelines, and you think everything is okay, and and then you sort of push that away from your mind because you just don't think it's going to happen to you. And then it does. And then suddenly you're thrown into this whole new world. Completely thrown into an, a world of unknown. And, and as I remember saying to friends and family, our world suddenly went from to, to being past tense. So one minute I was a mummy. I had my baby boy here. And we, we were a perfect family of three. And then suddenly became, it became past tense. So I was a mummy, I had a baby, we were happy, everything. Mm. And that's, that's what I found so hard. And I was looking at everyone else's life. I remember saying that we were looking through everyone, everyone else's life through a glass window. And their life continued on the other side as normal. And we were just on this completely 
alien, unknown path of navigating this grief that we are, as a society, we're just completely unprepared and unprepared for. Do you remember? Do you remember how it felt? Did you feel physical? Any physical signs of grief? It's a guttural physical loss because you do lose, as a mother, I think, as a mother especially, you lose a part of you. And I felt like I'd lost a part of me. And when he died, when Eddie died, I wanted to die with him. I didn't want to be here anymore. And it was those early days was how am I going to get through the rest of my life without my baby boy? And I didn't want to be here. Mm. That's not very far away now, is it, when you talk about it? No, and and that's the thing about grief. And actually, it's quite comforting to feel this now speaking to you because I think you worry I think we're, we're five years down the line now and you worry about being further away I feel further away from Eddie as time moves on and actually when I get upset it actually was really reassuring and I find it connects me to Eddie still yeah and I actually quite like that it is quite reassuring like a nice hurt yes it is um and so yeah, I think in those early days, it was just about putting one foot in, st- in front of the other. And, you know, I couldn't think too far ahead, actually. It was just about, have I got through the next hour? Have I got through the minutes? And and how was it for you and Chris? Because obviously it was his first experience of being a dad. It's it's very, very hard. I think men and women, as you s- said to us very early, early on, men and women grieve very differently. And we were just so determined to grieve together. And we, we made a promise when we left the hospital that when the, uh, one person was down, we'd pick the other person up. And we would be there for each other and we weren't going to let Eddie down. And, and it is very hard. And I think men and women, women tend to be much more emotional with their grief and Men are much more action orientated and much more sort of doers. And in the early days, we had just moved into our family home. We had just moved in and we'd been there for six weeks. And we hadn't touched the garden. And one day we decided, my mother-in-law was staying with us and she felt she needed to do something. So she got the lawnmower out and started mowing the lawn. And then Chris went into the garden and he felt it was a really good way for him to process his grief just yes. by doing something very physical. Especially something like nature and the garden. Yes. It's, and you've shown me what you've planted and it's we all plant- about that time, those, you know, those precious times of being out there in nature, remembering Eddie and and gardening. Yeah, and, and actually a lot of our friends who came round who didn't know what to do would go into the garden with Chris and they'd be pulling out weeds and we completely transformed that garden and my sister fondly calls it the Garden of Hope and we poured so much love and emotion into that garden. And so I remember you saying that healthy grieving is a balance of the emotional so action orientated mm. and the emotional mm. and we would just we would just talk we said that we've got to talk that was our sort of key our sort of key thing was that we've got to talk to each other it's really important that we don't do this in isolation and he was very lucky he had extended time off work so we we really had that time together and 
and it's I always find it's weird to say or we were lucky to even say this but because we didn't have any other living children it meant that we could completely dedicate our grief to Eddie mm-hmm. and I know it's strange to say lucky but it meant that it was you know it was just all about Eddie well, it and, was fortunate uh, that you could be and that you yeah. both wanted to. I mean, in lots of relationships, that might not be what would be wanted. Husband or the wife, a partner, might find that not what they would find helpful. But you found it helpful f- to be there for each other. Yeah. And also, you know, grief is so isolating and it's bewildering and it's emotionally very, very confusing. And what what did you find helped in, in, in those difficult feelings and times? What, what, what helped you? I think there were two things. One, it was so important for us to have professional counselling support. Um, and we were very keen to, to have that support from the beginning. And we wanted to have that support together mm. because we were very nervous that if we went separately, then we would then start grieving separately and we, we wouldn't be united with our grief. So we had... We seeked support very early on and that was really, really important for us because despite good intentions from friends and family, no one really understands what you're going through. And so to have that professional support was just so important and it it also validated our feelings. Yes, I think and that's... I think that's you know. what was so nice about it was that we weren't going mad. Hmm. These feelings were completely normal. But it feels like you're going mad. It does feel like you're going mad. And I'll never forget, um, I went to see my GP very early on. And straight away, he said, let's put you on antidepressants. And again, I'll never forget this conversation with you, Jenny, because you said to me, you know, depression can often be an abnormal reaction to a seemingly normal world. Whereas you're having a very normal reaction to a very unnatural thing that's happened in your life and it just made me feel so much better I thought I'm not going to go on pills because I need to feel my grief Mm. I just don't want to be going on antidepressants Mm. and it was just so reassuring to people don't don't sort of fully understand that when you feel empty of feelings it's when you probably are a bit depressed and you can get depressed in grief but it's not the same sort of clinical depression that possibly needs, you know, antidepressants. Yeah. But when you're grieving, you're full of feelings. It's the absolute opposite of being depressed. So I think people get very muddled with that. And it's not very easy to have that as part of what the medical profession feel is wrong with you. Yeah. When there is nothing wrong with you other than a huge amount of pain. And I think the other thing about the grief was that... Obviously, eventually, Chris had to go back to work. And I was still on maternity leave. And my company were very supportive. And they said, take the time that you need. And what I found so hard was that, you know, for the first three months, I was going out with all my mummy friends, my NCT friends, and going to the baby classes and taking Eddie for walks in his pram. And then suddenly, I just had nothing. And I just lost my identity overnight. Yeah. And I just didn't know where to place myself in this world. And so I really sought and found comfort from speaking to other bereaved parents. I was desperate 
to find someone else who had gone through something similar to me. And I was very lucky that we had, had a neighbor, a neighbor of ours that I was introduced to who had had a stillbirth a few years uh, before. So she was further along in her grief, which for me was it actually, well, she gave me hope because I just thought if she can survive this, then I can survive this because she's further along, which was so comforting. And she had a stillbirth, which is different to, to losing a child to SIDS. But as we always say, it's just a different shade of grey. It's still a loss. We both lost our babies. We both lost our future yeah. and our dreams and our hopes for our babies. And so... And very often for women, it's also a loss of self-esteem. Oh, yeah. Because you think, just listening to you then, you know, you think of yourself as having a job, a role as a mum. That's, that's your new job. And when that's taken away from you, it can be very hard to think, well, what am I meant to be? Who am I now? Mm. And to have that taste of motherhood mm. and to have that first experience of, of motherhood, actually, you know, to have a baby in your arms and have those first three months is obviously something that I look back on, back on and I actually think, gosh, we were so lucky to have that time with Eddie. But to then just have it cruelly taken from you and then for no reason... I think what ends up happening is that because there was no medical reason given to us, you naturally go inwards and then look at yourself. Yes. And there was a lot of blame on myself. I started thinking, had I done something wrong? Mm. What, you know, how could I possibly, how could I let my child die? You know, what have I done? Mm. And, and it, guilt. And guilt. And it didn't matter who, you know, d- despite all the medical assurances saying there's nothing you, you did and there's nothing you could have done. You, as a as a mother, you're meant to protect your child. And I really felt like I'd let Eddie down. Mm. Um, and I think that's always with me. I don't think that ever changes. I think there's an acceptance, but there was always something in me that would always think, could I have done something differently? Has, has that affected your mothering now, of the children you've had since him, since Eddie? Yeah, I think... Um, I mean, we were ex- they were exceptionally anxious. We felt when we did full preg, we fell pregnant with Ollie. And that took a little while, didn't it? I think that was ex- that was really hard. I think I was desperate to be a mummy again, mm. and I wanted to get pregnant, and I couldn't get pregnant. And I remember even having this conversation with you. I was like, I've got to, I just really want to be a mum. And, and I remember you saying to me that, you know, that first year, you've got to give that time to Eddie. And it's really important. And if you fall pregnant straight away, then the grief gets put to one side and you can't help but protect that unborn child. And, and actually, that will all come out. And a lot of mums who get pregnant very quickly have to then deal with that grief when the, the second baby comes. And it's again, that's easy to look back with hindsight, but actually... It just meant that I gave that year just solely to Eddie. But it didn't lessen that pain when I wasn't falling pregnant. I think that exasperated my grief when I wasn't falling pregnant. Mm. And there was no reason why I couldn't fall pregnant. But then I started to do tests to find out. And I think the stress of it then... It's very stressful It's time. so stressful. Mm. So when we did finally fall pregnant, it was... Um, it was just a year, just after Eddie's first year anniversary. It was a very, very anxious time because I think once you fall on this, 
Once you're a statistic, you suddenly think that's it. You're going to be on the wrong side of statistics for the rest of your life. So I thought, well, I'm going to have a stillbirth now. I've lost my baby to Sid, so I won't be able to see through this pregnancy. So I was very nervous in my pregnancy and I had a lot of support through that. But actually, a lot of the anxiety really kicked in when Ollie arrived because I was just terrified that we were going to lose Ollie to Sid's as well. And so we were very, very fortunate that we had um, the counselling support, but also the support from the Lullaby Trust. And they provide a Care of Next Infant programme. We had extra health visitors. We had a monitor that we could put on Ollie, an alarm. I mean, it would often go off cause false, with false alarms, but we'd rather have a false alarm and know that he was okay. We, we, clo- we would just watch him. We did shifts. So one of us would watch him while the other one slept. And then, but mostly we didn't sleep. Um, and and the, the biggest thing which was so important was this paediatric passport that meant that in his first year, if we ever needed to go to the doctor or go to the to A&E, we would get straight to the... It was like having first class, it was like having first class um, access because we would be seen as a priority case. And that was provided by your GP or by the by consultant? By our GP, yeah. Mm. So through the NHS. It was just amazing. The support was just amazing. And it really, it, it really gave us the reassurance that we needed um, to try and enjoy... Ollie as much as as possible and did did you use it very much did you need to go back to hospital oh yes I mean I took (laughs) I took Ollie after six weeks he was he was six weeks old and he'd had his monitor on him and he'd fallen asleep it was just after I'd I'd, uh, done a, a breastfeed and he was a bit dozy and he fell asleep and the alarm went off and he was just dozy, so he looked very tired. And we didn't know if it was because, of, you know, there was something wrong with him or if it was just the alarm. Anyway, we rushed to A&E and they couldn't have been more supportive. They were amazing. They kept us in overnight just as a precaution and just to give us reassurance. And they were just amazing. Oh, I'm so pleased. Amazing. It's so nice to hear how well the NHS do in so many ways and around something that's really important. It's been my whole life experience. I'm very proud to have worked in the NHS. But I'm pleased for you that that's how it was. And you went in a few other times, and each time you were treated with respect and And the care kindness. that we... Yes, I think that's the thing. They were just so caring. And that, yeah, that first year was very... You know, we were very, very anxious. Even when we got past the three months mark, you hear of other other babies that have died at six months or 12 months or 18 months, you know, you never, someone once said to me, a bereaved parent said, you never go to bed as a bereaved parent with the safe knowledge that your child will wake up. Mm. And that's exactly how, even today, there's always something, I always get a bit nervous and I just sort of, just, I check on them a lot, both the children. What, what, what are your children's ages now? So Ollie is going to be four in February and... Chloe will turn two in December. And Ollie's alarm only came off when he was three and a half. <laughs> so it was just so reassuring to have that. And Chloe still has the alarm. And that's um, provided, was that, did that was you buy it or by, the It was hospital? provided by the NHS, which was amazing. So it was completely funded by them. And, and it's, it's given you the had. peace of mind that you've needed. Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, we just needed to put, things in place that was going that were going to give us that reassurance and comfort and and yes we are more anxious as as 
as parents, I think any parent who has lost a child will naturally be more anxious. Mm. Um, but it's something that we had, you know, we, we learn to, we learn, we've learned to manage and trying to be more present with it and just try and be in the moment and think actually everything's okay in this moment. We're okay. And, yeah. and not to think too far ahead and to worry too far ahead. And you've gone on to found the charity Teddy's Wish. Yes. Um, and through that charity, it feels like you've had a connection with Eddie. Oh, absolutely. I think we we set the charity up just three months after we lost Eddie. And we set the charity up for two reasons. One of the reasons was because we were just so desperate to understand why and how a perfectly healthy baby could die. So we, we set the charity up to fund research into all forms of baby loss because we'd met other bereaved parents on our journey who'd lost their babies under similar but different circumstances, and we recognised that we couldn't prioritise our loss over other loss, and actually all forms of baby loss are a tragedy. So we, we, we fund research, and we also fund bereavement support because that's so important in giving families hope to live their lives again. And then the second reason is it was a way of me still feeling like I'm, I'm parenting Eddie. Mm. I think especially because Eddie was my first child. And in those early days of grief, it actually gave me a reason to get up and do something. Because every time I did something for the charity, it made me feel like I was doing something for Eddie. Yes, and I've learned so much about how important that connection is. Mm. That You know, you, you need that enduring connection with your child that's died to be able to move on with life. Yeah. You know, I, I talk about this quite often, and I don't think you can ever underestimate how important it is. We, Chris and I always say it's the charity allows us to grieve and move forward at the same time. And I think that's, and and, I, and actually when I say to my friends, even with Chloe and Ollie today, I say that I parent Ollie and Chloe in one way, and then I parent Eddie through the charity. So and I've that's one of the reasons children. you've come today to yes. do this podcast. Yeah. Some Eddie time. Yeah. Oh, I'm so pleased. Thank you very much, Jen, for coming. And please Thank say you. to Chris that we're pleased his story about being a daddy has also been included. And... Um, I look forward to hearing more about Teddy's Wish in the future. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, our thanks to Jen Reed, And uh, if you would like to find out more about Jen's charity, Teddy's Wish, then head to teddyswish.org. Or for more information about the Lullaby Trust, who raise awareness for sudden infant death syndrome and offer support to bereaved families, well, you can find them on lullabytrust.org.uk. And as always, links to any resources from our episodes can be found in the description. So that concludes the last episode in this series. We hope you found what we've discussed has been helpful to you. And on behalf of Jenny Thomas and me, thank you for listening. <laughs>